We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Everybody, we are back for part two. Fachi is still recovering from his trip to Washington, D.C., but we have questions to answer. So let's get right to it. Keith said, Bobby Marks said we could trade Tyson Neesmith right away, but that they could not be aggregated with uh, with another player in the transaction. Do you know how long that uh, restriction lasts? I'm thinking both of these guys could be on the block. Thanks. I'm actually not entirely sure how long that lasts. I know for free agency, it's December 15th. Alex, do you know, is that the same deadline or is that? No, is it- no, no. For, for okay. trades, it's always 90 days okay. after, right. after being traded. It, yeah, yeah, okay. All right, so 90 days, that, that's a great point because I remember, you know, in terms of the, the Celtics situation, what was it? One of the players that we ended up cutting when we traded Brogdon, we needed to guarantee the contract because he hadn't been with the team for, was it 90 days or what? Do you no, that? yeah, it was Jawan Morgan. So we couldn't make the deal until – uh, the 90 days had passed since he had been yeah. signed. So we had to wait till I believe it was July 7th or something like that to make the deal go by or July 11th, whatever it was. I can't remember now, but we had to wait until it had been officially uh, 90 days. So when they did trade him that he couldn't be traded for 90 days, basically from when they got him. So that is what I believe it is. I'm going to double check while you're talking, Um, but I've been at work all day. So I've been able to answer all these on my phone before we talked, but I believe it is 90 days. You have to wait before being aggregated with the trade again. Hey, that works for me. Uh, next question, we have Quentin said, what is a realistic extension slash contract you see the Pacers signing Miles Turner to? Good question. Um, I would say they'll give him a raise, but not much of one. I would say I would say maybe do with a two-year extension where he gets $20 million a year. So, so basically 
40 million dollars for two years uh i think they would probably do like the like the brogdon thing where they add on just a couple more years that way they can decide if they want to keep him or move on but he might want a, a bigger contract a four or five year deal I don't think the Pacers are going to invest so much money into him right now based on everything we've seen. So if they were going to give him an extension, Fachi, I think two for 20 or two, two for 40, excuse me, for 20 million a year is what I see. I don't think them going, I don't see them going much higher than that. The the Turner stands would have came at you hard if, if you didn't correct yourself on the two for 20, they would have been like, what? <laughs> they're but still coming. No, no, they're coming. They're coming. But, um, Anyway, I, I think that he wouldn't want to sign a two-year deal just because this is a big opportunity for him to hit free agency. I think you know there's going to be teams that have a lot more money to spend this time around than last year, and I think at this point, his best chance of trying to cash in is probably going to be after this year. So I do think it's going to take a four-year deal to get him. I don't think the Pacers are going to commit because I think that would be probably in the ballpark of four years, $100 million. I, uh, He signed the four-year $72 million uh, extension before. Um, so I think at this point, you know, it's going to have to be a raise. Um, so he was averaging $18 million basically per year. I think if he was to sign four years, a hundred million that raised him from 18 to 25. So I think you're looking at anywhere between basically like 90 to a hundred million dollars on a four year deal. I, I think it's too much for the Pacers at this point in the direction of the team. If they were continuing to put a playoff team out there, I think that would make a lot more sense, but they're not. So I think at this point, um, whatever team signs him, I think is going to be looking at four years, you know, I'd say four years, 85 to $100 million. I love how it just started to get less and less and less as I kept talking, but uh, between 85 to $100 million on a four-year deal. Yeah, that's um, that's a little bit more than me, right? Yep. So I just, I don't know. We're talking about what the Pacers would do, though. That's where I'm kind of, I've been, look, I've been looking up, I've been looking up, the the thing on the trade, so that's why I'm a little bit distracted. There. I'm sorry, no, but no, no worries. I, I, if if in a perfect situation, yeah, a two year like fat deal would probably be great. Like you know, uh, two years, forty two million dollars or something like that. Um, it's basically you know twenty one million dollars per year. It's a three million dollar raise. It's a short term deal. Probably works out perfect for the Pacers, but I just don't think that that Miles would want a deal like that. No, I agree with that. I don't. I don't know what he's going to want. I don't think him and the Pacers are seeing eye to eye on what he's worth and either. what he wants. And that to me is kind of why I'm like not so sure. Like he's going to be here after the like after the trade deadline. Like I'm pretty like I put money on it that he's probably moved. But <laughs> that'd be dumb of me to see that to say that because we've seen how many times he's uh, survived all of the all of the trade rumors and stuff like that. So I mean, unless he just balls out, like I don't see them really coming to an agreement here. Um, but they will definitely have to trade him before the deadline because you can't let him walk for nothing. So looking up real quick, I, I did see someone say it's 60 days. Uh, 2K makes you wait 60 days to trade somebody um, once a, tra- a player has been traded. So I could be wrong by saying 90. I could be 60. So um, however many days it's been, they would be able to be aggregated in the trade later. So um, I'll, I'll continue to look on that just to confirm, but that's where I'm at now. But let's move on to our next question. This one comes from... Uh, Walter, he said, who do you think has the best chance to win the Pacers Award, a.k.a. the NBA's Most Improved Player Award, and why? He said Halliburton, Duarte, and Jalen Smith all seem like they're poised to make a leap. By the betting sites, if you take a look at it, Halliburton has actually some really good odds. I think that it would be hard to to accomplish, but at the same point, because he's already really good, but at the same point, John Morant just did it. But 
The difference was the Memphis Grizzlies were really good, and John proved. I think that Halliburton can still get it much better, but the team might be kind of in the gutter, which I think could, could really work against him. Jalen Smith, I think, would have to legitimately dominate the league, which is a little bit hard for me to imagine. I love him as a player, but I, I feel like I can't imagine him, you know, averaging like 20 and 10 or something like that. And then Duarte, he would have to be putting up, I think, 20 plus in order to really be in the running for that. Yeah. Kind of a little yeah. bit hard to imagine, but I can see Halliburton actually averaging like a 20 and 10, um, but the wins just not being there. Yeah, I think that's what's going to hurt Mbachi is just how bad the team's going to be because usually they award most improved player to a team that's doing well. Um, even if Halliburton is the most improved player, I mean, they might be thinking he's just like stat padding and still on a bad team. But yep. I don't think that's the case. I think that he's got the best chance of the three because he's going to have the ability to put up the numbers that these guys I don't think will be able to put up. So uh, real quick here, I've got an answer for you, Fachi. It is indeed 60 days or two months. Confirmed. Um, so basically I went to trade machine and I tried to make a trade with Daniel Tice and another player like TJ McConnell, sent him to the Bulls for uh Busevich and the trade failed. And here's why Daniel Tice cannot be traded to a team aggregated with other players from his team because two months have not passed since he was traded for. He can only be traded away to a team by himself and other non-player assets from his team, such as draft picks, cash considerations, etc. This restriction expires after August 30th, 2022. So according to fanspo.com, which is the trade machine app that everybody uses, after August 30th, he can be aggregated in a trade. Hey, kind of right around the corner. So at this point, you know, maybe I'm going back to my gut feeling of, of saying, I don't know if Tice ever wears a jersey. I just feel like <laughs> a Pacer jersey because I'm not, that's the way I'm swinging each way, man. It's like, whether the wind blows a certain direction, I'm like, mm, yeah, I don't see him ever playing as a pacer. But things change. We'll have to see. But, man, it feels like uh, Dan Daniel Tice has been getting shopped all throughout this episode, <laughs> the way Alex has been hitting the trade machine. <laughs> well, let's well, move on, Fachi. Next question. Next question we have from Ben. He said, big fan. We definitely appreciate that, uh, Ben. He said, my question would be, when do you guys think the squad can make their first playoff push? Also, will be the biggest surprise on our team this year? Great question. Um, it's really tough to answer these, though, because it's like we don't even know who's going to be on the roster next year or the year after that, who's going to be hurt, who's not going to be hurt. So let's just imagine, hypothetically, this team stays healthy for the remainder of the next three to four seasons. This core stays together. They're not really broken up. Um, so I will say that they have a chance to make the playoffs by 2024. Um, I think that, obviously – that could be the 2023-2024 season, but I'll, I'll go 24-25. That season's when I think that they'll really be in contention to be a playoff team. I think next year um, they could make the playoffs, probably on that play-in fringe team if everybody develops and takes those big steps. But um, I think the biggest surprise on our team this year, Fachi, ah, this is a tough one. Because um, I think we're all expecting good things out of Jalen Smith out of Matherin, out of Halliburton. I think Duarte's probably got some positive stock. So That's how, what, I, what I was leaning. Um, I'm going to go here a little bit off the cusp here, and I'm going to say O'Shea Brissett. Uh, I think he's going to surprise us, and I think there's a possibility. I'm not sure. Just a gut feeling. Part of me wonders, does O'Shea start at the three? We haven't really talked about it, but could yeah. he start at the three, maybe play Matherin at the two, and play – 
uh, McConnell at the one, and then you play Smith and Turner with those five. And then off the bench, you've got uh, McConnell, Buddy, and Duarte in the backcourt, and Neesmith is out of the rotation. Or maybe they just take Buddy out of the rotation completely, knowing that they're looking for a youth movement, and they start or they play Neesmith in his position and then go with Ajax and maybe Goga at the four and the five. I think that could be something that's interesting. But I think O'Shea's maybe poised for a bigger season than people realize because he's in that contract cheer and he's trying to prove himself. I don't know why just like the taste of disgust came over my mouth when you were like, maybe just Buddy's just out of the rotation because it's like, we got to trade this man at that point. Like, Well, that's the plan, obviously. I know. He looked good last year. He did. I know the team didn't, but man. Um, but look, uh, when it comes down to a surprise, um, I would just say my initial gut wanted to say Chris Duarte, but I feel like yeah. he should be good. So then I started going back and forth on, is it O'Shea that, but I'm just going to stick with my first thing. My gut was Chris Duarte because I feel like a lot of us are sleeping on Duarte. I'm standing by it. I honestly think he's going to ball out. I don't know what his role specifically will be. We've gone back and forth. Is he starting at the three? Is he coming off the bench? Really don't know. But if he's featured enough being like that sixth man, he does have a big opportunity to be putting up numbers. He really does. As it relates to the playoffs, uh, it's definitely not going to be this year. I would like to say after this year, like the following, so, you know, 2023, 2024, I feel like we're going to be a serious, seriously in the running for a play-in spot, which, like, if you really have to throw serious in front, it's it sounds pretty bad because it's like we're going to seriously miss out on the playoffs by about a game or two, um, which just sounds awful. But I feel like 2024, 2025, this Pacers team could be extremely loaded. So if it's not 2023, 2024, I feel really good about 2024, 2025. But man, we're we're creeping up into the future over here. So uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be about two years. I agree with you, Pachi. And you know, I mean, maybe we maybe it's next year. Who knows? I mean, if you get Wimbenyama and this group really develops, everything changes at that point. Everything changes. But if it's not everything I just said, yeah. If it's not Victor Wimbenyama, I think it's totally different. But let's move on. This question comes from Wyatt. He said, what are your top three moves of the offseason, uh, drafts, trades, signings, and what grade would you give the Pacers moves? So this was tough. So when you <laughs> said top three moves of the offseason, I was like, does he mean just, the, I guess, is the Pacers in a separate category? So like starting with the Pacers moves. It's just the Pacers. Uh, That's what okay. it's about. So the moves were slim. I love the draft. Benedict Matherin, oh, my God, I love that pick. Also, you know, I was a little bit so-so on Nemhart at first. I, I definitely settled in. So, like the Nemhart pick, love the Kendall Brown pick. Thought the value there was awesome. <laughs> Resigning Jalen Smith was fantastic. And then we swung for the fences on Aiden. It, it was a miss. It was definitely a solid yeah. miss, but we went for it. So, with that, got to be thrilled. Then the Brogdon trade. Was it the sexiest trade ever? No, it wasn't. But was it a smart deal? Yes, it was. Okay, rank something- them. What was that? Rank them. I'll rank the moves. Uh, yeah. Matherin's got to be number one. Okay. Then I would say next is, is re-signing Jalen Smith. Okay. And then what's number three? Is, is there a consolation prize for the largest offer sheet in NBA history? Uh, I think it's worth it. Yeah. So there we go. The third best move is an offer sheet that, that brought us no one, but sent a message to the fan base of like, 
We're not going to be as cheap as we were before. When there's a guy out there, we have an opportunity to get better. We're going to go for it. So, you know, the Brogdon trade over there, you get a first, you get Neesmith, you get Tice for whatever that is, and, and you saved a ton of money on Brogdon moving forward. You open up playing time for a bunch of guys. Overall, I, I think it was it was, a, it was a pretty solid offseason, but I think we all hoped and imagined more. Yeah, I, I- – I had a tough time here ranking these. I had number one, Jalen Smith, because just like the impossibilities that came with trying to get him back were just unreal. It was fun. Um, so it, the, to be able to pull that off, even though they gave him a starting position, I thought it was fantastic. Okay. So I, I got to put that number one. I don't know if he's going to be here forever long term. I don't think his ceiling is as high as Matherin's. So maybe that's why it's a little bit skewed. But for me, like just being able to convince him to stay. And sign a three year deal, you know, even there's a, like a, options on it and stuff like that. The fact that he was, open to doing that, you know, and taking less money. I thought that was huge. So that was number one for me. Number two, I had Matherin in the draft overall. I mean, you're hoping Matherin could be that next guy to go next to Halliburton. So if you hit on that, that's massive. Um, and then I wrote number three. I said, you know, like you mentioned, getting off that Brogdon money was huge because it creates so much flexibility moving forward. And I kind of put those two and two together. Like, it gave them the opportunity to, like, wave the players they traded um, Brogdon for, like the, the Jawan Morgans, you know, the – the Malik Fitz and then um, Nick Stauskas, two-time Pacer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like you're able to like get those guys off the roster. You don't really do much, and then you cut Dwayne Washington Jr., which stunk. But just think about all the flexibility. Like even if we don't use this cap space in the off season right now, how much more can we use it in the season when teams are trying to make moves? So we can desperately, uh, or not desperately, definitely use this opportunity to create flexibility moving forward. So that's what I love about it, Bocce. So um, I would say the Pacers have put themselves in a good spot moving forward. Obviously, this year maybe you didn't get the guy that you wanted in DeAndre Ayton, but you could still monitor that for next season. You never know. So I'm going to give this a B-plus in terms of my grade, Bocce, because um, if they would have got Ayton, it would have been an A-plus, but they still didn't move Turner. Turner's value seems lower than it's ever been now. I, I think that's a knock on them. And I think also, um, you know, I don't know what Buddy Hield's value is right now, but it just feels like the value of the team, uh, the, the biggest trade assets moving forward, is not as great as maybe fans think it is. Yeah, I'm 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 probably at a B plus too. It's between a B and a B plus. I can't go an A minus range. Nah, they don't deserve an A. No, I I just can't. Like we still have so much money left over and no one to use it on. Like yeah. so that that's where we're at, and we have like. The Turner situation got awkward. Like, you still don't know what you're doing there. You got a couple guys that that almost just imagine they're not going to be here long term, but are still here. You know, you you really, you know, you would have thought you would have got more for Brogdon, but at the same point, it wasn't the worst trade. Like, at one point, you know, we are hearing the Wizards are going to offer up the 10th overall pick. Like, you end up with – Trying to bring the Wizards back into it. You know me, man. You know, and then all of a sudden we end up with like the Celtics, like twenty fifth overall pick for next year. So it was yeah. a big drop off. But yeah. at the same point, I, I think, hey, what's wrong with a you know a B plus? Yeah, no, nothing wrong with that, Bacha. Let's move on to our next question. Next question, we got Randy. Randy says, "Why do you think Rick Carlisle was at Miles Turner's basketball camp?" Let's just read into everything, Bachi. Right? I, I mean, good grief, people. No, uh, oh, I mean, Randy messaged me this. Uh, this question, I started laughing. I'm like, look, um, Rick Carlisle has family in Dallas. Obviously, yeah. his kids didn't move down with him. 
He lived there for a long time. He's down there in the summer quite a bit, I'm sure, especially now before the season starts up and before his kids go to school, whatever, uh, or go back to school. And since he was in the area and Miles is doing that thing, I mean, Rick talked about it last year. He likes to meet with these players during the offseason, get to know, get to just chat with them, give them a little bit of a talk. He flew out and got dinner with different players last year. Like, we know for sure that he's very connected with the players. And I'm sure they talked about everything. Like, hey, you know, we went after eight, and I know they're probably stunned a little bit, but, hey, you know, we're professionals. You got to come out here, do your best. We're going to give you the opportunity to prove yourself, you know, that kind of thing. I don't think it was anything other than uh, generic – hey, you know, you're on this team, I'm your coach, let's work together for, you know, both sides here, okay? Let's handle this professionally. And I think Turner's done that well for the most part. I mean, he came out last year to the athletic, but overall he's handled everything very professionally considering how emotional it probably was for him to be involved in so many trade rumors because he does love being in Indianapolis. He loves the city. So that to me um, is what I think it was. I, I think also is an opportunity for Rick to go out there and help at the camp. I think Rick enjoys teaching young kids about basketball. Um, he's just a very, uh, he's a very lovable, he loves the game, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. He loves the game very much. So um, he just loves giving back as much as he can, and I think this was a great opportunity. It really was. Uh, you know, to pretty much echo what you said, the camp was in Dallas at, shout out to Jermaine O'Neal, Jermaine O'Neal's Drive Nation facility right over there. So, you got to think Rick's probably still, you know, still got the house down there, the family. I don't know how far it was, but I'm sure it was close. You know, what ex what a perfect excuse to be able to meet with your own player over there. It was right next to where your family lives. Mm -hmm. So also he's shown support for Miles for, for years, even dating back to him being the Mavericks head coach. So at this point, look, Miles is very much an Indiana Pacers. So why not show some support over there, be able to connect with one of your guys, and I think this can only help strengthen their relationship as it probably is at a little bit of an awkward spot. So I think just a great move by Rick going over there, supporting. I'm sure it meant a bunch to Miles. I'm sure it meant something to the, the kids over there. And I'm sure it was very convenient for him to be able to get over there. Yeah, for sure. So I don't think there's too much to it. Just Rick doing what he's supposed to do. Be a good coach, communicate with your players, and try to get everybody ready for the season. So Bachi, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and finish the rest of our questions here for part two. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Fachi, this question comes from Lottie Dottie on Instagram. We always enjoy getting his questions. He said, what do you guys think about acquiring Jackson Hayes? His size, athleticism, improving jumper and age is a perfect fit for our timeline, and I 100% believe Carlisle and Tyrese can really get the best out of him. Bonus question, can you guys create some nicknames for our players? First of all, shout out to Lottie Dottie for always sliding in at least one more question. So, you know, Why do you I hit on I, that, man. At least he loves getting his questions answered. No, I we love you, Lottie Dottie. Sorry. Exactly. Keeping it consistent. I love it. Thank you for the support. Um, uh, I would say Jackson Hayes, look, this is a player who uh, you know, I feel like has a lot of potential, likely has not lived up to all of it, mostly due to playing time, only playing between 15 and 20 minutes per night. He's going to be a restricted free agent after this year. But what worries me a bit was he had a super messy arrest uh, last year. Um, the, the video is on Twitter. You can find it. You know, it, I'm not going to get into all of it, but I know he was charged with 12 misdemeanors. So it kind of scared me off a little bit. I think it kind of scared off probably some other teams. But I think that he's someone where the talent is definitely there. But, you know, anytime someone gets in and off the court, type of uh, messy situation. It kind of scares me off a little bit. I'm sure it scares off the Pacers. Bonus question, Alex, you and I have to create some nicknames for some players. I, I think I think the, the, the fan base just needs a little bit of fun at yeah. this time. So we'll have to take that into consideration. Yeah, I agree with you on everything you said about Jackson Hayes. I mean, I think it's got the talent, but at the same time, I don't think the Pacers are going to invest in the town that's got Agreed. the red flags there um for some nicknames here Fachi, we will probably have to do some more work on this but just quickly came up with a few for tyrese Ooh. i've got the captain i think that's good for him mm -hmm. um leader of the team i like the captain um for ijax i've got the pogo stick uh, I, I feel like he is a pogo stick for duarte i know it's kind of copying cp3 but i like cd3 i think it's pretty cool uh do not love some of the nicknames that we've seen um, Duartre is kind of cool, but I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, no offense to our friend that I Pacers blog, but I'm not a big fan of the avocado nickname. I think that's a little bit too, uh, I don't know if I heard that. The avocado you just post the avocado because it's like some kind of tree, like produces like a Duarte tree per, produces avocados or something like it's, yeah. it's creative and just and it's not, it's not sticking with me. And then for Matherin, um, this is a tough one, but I wrote Batman down. Um, just kind of feel like he's got that Batman mentality. <laughs> it's good, good traits to have. I mean, if he could, if he could be an alpha like that. It's always better than being called Robin. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so uh, I would much rather draft a guy that we call Batman than calling someone Robin or any other sidekick. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on, Bunchy. All right. Um. Uh. Next question is: 
Uh, Fester35 said, do you think Jalen Smith is a long-term power forward? What kind of season do you expect from him? Good question. Um, I think a lot of people, especially a lot of analytical people that I've listened to, are like not buying into him being the starting power forward. They feel like he's more of a center. I kind of understand that. But it was funny when we had Kravitz on, he was like, oh, no, he can't play center. Uh, I think that's more of the old school mentality. Uh, So I think maybe there's a fine line in between there. I think he can. I think that the idea of them wanting to go after Aiton for four years on that max deal and playing Jalen Smith next to him, I think they were fully embracing that. Um, I think Caitlin Cooper brought this up, talking about like how, um, you know, without with, with Sabonis, there was not really anybody else to protect the rim behind Miles and Jalen Smith can do that. We know he's a, a decent shot blocker. Not great. He's not Miles level shot blocker, but nope. um, he's he's good. Not great. Right. He's, he can he, he can do it. Right. And I think he's going to get better. So just having that weak side rim protection, more of a guy that can get up in the air. I think that's important, too. So um, right now, the Pacers really just don't have any power forwards. I mean. Let's be real. Like you're talking about uh, Terry Taylor, a little bit small. Um, he can do it. I just don't know if he's a starter level player. I think he's more of that uh, rotation guy, you know, consistent minutes probably um, whenever the roster finally gets settled down, but um, not, not sure exactly where he's going to fit. And I think he's too good to not put on the floor though. I think yeah. Isaiah Jackson uh, is probably, I think Carlisle said he's more of a center right now than he is a power forward. Um, that was what he said during the season because of what he does skill set wise. But if he can knock on the three, then I think you can look at him as a power forward. And then O'Shea is the other one. So it's kind of a small slim pickings there for the Pacers roster. Um, so I, I think he can play the power forward. And I'm expecting a I'm expecting a similar season to last year for him. I'm expecting him to get good looks from Halliburton. I think he's going to take advantage of him. I do think we'll see more downs than ups though because of the longevity of the season. But overall, I think he's going to have. Um, I'm gonna, I shouldn't say more downs and ups overall for the whole season, but more downs than we saw last year, I should say, because um, he had a pretty positive season for the part that he played with the Pacers. So I think he'll be a really reliable player, though, and I think he's going to shoot the ball well, and he's just going to bring some athleticism to this team that we need. Yeah, I, I do view him as a long-term four. Uh, I think he can also play at center for sure, but it all depends on where he's more comfortable at. I mean, you know, it could be a bit of a challenge to defend and it's always going to be a bit of a challenge to defend the elite centers in this league. That goes without saying. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think I wouldn't like to see him, you know, really guard like an Embiid. Like it's – but not – you don't want to see anyone really guard an Embiid. So, at this point, um, you know, as it relates to what kind of season you expect from next year. So, in Jalen's 22 games as a pacer last year, he was magical. 13 and a half points per game, seven and a half rebounds. He shot 53% from the field. 37% from three, and he averaged a block per game. So it felt like he did everything. How many right. minutes? I see uh, just under 25, so it's 24.7. So that's really not a lot of minutes. So That's I think about what it, Turner got. Why are we Why are we so praiseworthy of Smith when he's averaging close to the similar numbers as Turner? Well, Turner, Turner got much more minutes, actually. It was closer to 29. Okay, so five more minutes a game? Yeah. Who got more shot attempts per game? Uh, let's see. So Jalen Smith, as a pacer, averaged 9.7 field goal attempts. Uh, Miles last year averaged 9.4. So it was very similar. Uh, Jalen Jalen did it in five full less minutes per game, averaged nearly one full point more per game. Yeah, Um, and he played in a different style system too. So, I mean, I'm just throwing that out there because I feel like, you know, if fans hear those numbers, they're going to be like, well, that's the same thing Turner had. You know what I'm saying? 13 and seven. So, um, yeah. 
Just wanted to clarify that because no, I mean no, their their stats were they were very similar, but um, Jalen just very efficient, fifty three percent field, thirty seven percent for three. I think that he his numbers are going to rise, but I think his shooting percentages are going to go a little bit down. So I, I could see him averaging like fifteen and eight, like a just a small uptick. But I, I think instead of fifty three percent from the field, it's more like fifty, and then from three, the thirty seven percent could be about more like thirty five. So I think that's going to happen with more shot attempts, just a little bit of deficiency could fall off a little bit. But also we're talking about a 22-game sample size compared to 82 potentially. Yeah. So they, you know, you're bound to be a little bit less efficient. Yeah, 60 more games will do that to you, Fachi. But let's move on. Get your umbrellas because the Pacer Splash Zone is here with a question. He said, would you start Buddy Heald over one of the guys or fully commit to the young core from game one? I think you got to fully commit to the young core. I, I I just really do. I think at this point, you know, I looked at it. Buddy was playing, you know, 35 to 36 minutes per game last year. That's a lot. He started every game as a pacer. I just feel like, sure, in a year where nothing mattered, like, okay, whatever. Now, all of a sudden, like, you got to find enough playing time for Matherin and Duarte, and I want to see them be playing together. So I, I think at this point, I really don't want Duarte, like, taking a back seat for guys that might not be here long-term or, or, you know, like for instance, like I know we talked about O'Shea starting over there, but what if O'Shea ends up walking and he got a lot more playing than time than Duarte. Oh, sure. and, and then what if heels also getting more playing time? And then we start to, people start to say to themselves like, is Duarte even really that good? It's like, I really think he is good, but I think we need to get behind him and let him flourish. <laughs> let him so feast. At this point, what was that? Let him feast. And let him feast. Let the man eat. Let him get seconds. Come on. Take, take a Tupperware to go home and eat, eat again. You know, yeah. I want to see him flourish. So at this point, bring Buddy off the bench because it already sounds like there's a good chance he might not finish the year as a pacer. So yeah. don't hold back Duarte for it. Yeah, I, you know, we talked about this before, I think, on the last mailbag a little bit, and I kind of, like, threw out the idea of starting Buddy over Duarte. Obviously, Matherin starts, in my opinion, but Duarte being the – End of the lottery pick. It's not the end of the deal. End of the. It's not the end of the world if he comes off the bench. It's not a big deal. So, personally for me, I think I would prefer to see Duarte in that starting lineup like you, Fachi. But I'm also looking at it from a Rick Carlisle standpoint. If I start Buddy Hield at the two, he's got the chemistry with Tyrese. He's a good shooter. He can be a secondary playmaker if we need him to be. Probably a little bit more of a playmaker than Duarte. Would you say? I don't know. Well, that's tough, Buddy. Yeah. Last year he was yeah. Sacramento King buddy was not a playmaker. That's All what I'm sudden, saying. That dude started racking up assists last year. It made no sense. So I can see them maybe wanting to start Buddy just to hope maybe improve his trade value because Buddy said he wants to start. Um, and I wonder if he would really embrace coming off the bench. But if he comes off the bench, maybe he can prove that he can be that six-man type of scorer if they let him kind of run the show. But I think it's going to be McConnell's show uh, if McConnell's in that second unit. Uh, with the ball in his hands all the time. So personally for me, I would rather start Duarte, but I can see the Pacers going with starting Buddy and Miles to try to get their trade value up a little bit more if they're on the roster by the start of the season. It's possible, but when you start say, you know, get their trade value up, are we talking about like two months of Buddy starting? Because I mean, know, what's always... the long-term plan with Chris Duarte? Is he a full-time starter or is he that sixth man that they want? I mean, I've heard from different variations of people that cover the team, like, yeah, you got to start him no matter what. But I've also heard people say, well, I think he's more of a six-man kind of guy, kind of like a Swiss Army knife, can do a little bit of everything, but isn't probably like that 
you know, whatever you want them to be. I've, I've heard that brought up from different analysts on the radio and stuff like that. So with that being said, I personally think he should start. Okay, I, I'm with you on that. He should start. But if you're trying to get that value up, I don't think yes. it's going to hurt the development if you bring him off no. the bench. No, it, it shouldn't. But I just want to – I would prefer then that you then potentially make a deal around December rather than February. So <laughs> this isn't – you know, this isn't like this like – not to say a lost season for Duarte because it doesn't have – you don't have to start in order to be able to not have it considered a lost season. But I just don't want to, you know, be playing Buddy 35 minutes a night right. and then be like, this guy's not even going to be here. We're just trying to get to February just to trade him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one thing to monitor, too, is Duarte's toe injury. Um, it seems like it's still kind of been flaring up. Off that shocked on. me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something to keep an eye on, number one, and maybe they want to restrict his minutes because he's trying to recover from that, and they bring him off the bench. But I also think, too, um, if the long-term goal is to have Duarte be your sixth man, then put him in that role to start the season so he can get familiar with it and consistent with it. I don't want him – starting, you know, for two weeks and going to the bench and then vice versa, like just back and forth. I want that consistent role for all of these young players so they can get a little bit more comfortable knowing what they're supposed to do instead of being in and out of that starting lineup all the time and not getting that chemistry down with the guys that they're going to be playing with the most. Yeah, man. Oh, I, I just – it just feels like the writing's on the wall. We're rambling too much here, Fudge. We are. We are. Let's move on to the next question. Last I, – not the last question, one of the last. We have uh, Brett – Dooley said, uh, predictions on what will happen between the Pacers and Miles Turner. Man, this is another question that, that could go on and on. It could. But uh, predictions. we can make this uh, brief. Predictions. Miles Turner is traded before the trade deadline, but will not be traded before the season. I think that both sides understand what this year means, what the future looks like. Um, I've heard people say it would be a crime not to give him a chance to play with Halliburton. I understand that, but I also think the writing is on the wall and that both sides know that this is going to be the end of the relationship and you just have to make the best of it until it's officially over. But the Pacers cannot afford to let Miles Turner become an unrestricted free agent and not trade him. So I believe that they will move him before the trade deadline at some point. It'll probably be less value than people hope for. But at the end of the day, you have to realize he could walk for nothing. So anything is better than nothing. Not sure if I could have said it better myself. I'm in complete agreement. He does not finish the season as a pacer. I do think that he's traded. If it's not at the deadline, it's beforehand. When there are more suitors, when there could be potentially a bigger need at center for other teams, and you know when those December 15 deadline guys become available for trade, it's going to open up the market a bit. So um, you know we've we've seen you know crazier things happen, trades happen that we we didn't expect. Uh, you know, or earlier in the year compared to at the deadline. But I think that the Pacers are in a spot right now where it does not make sense just to trade your longest tenured player, who's a, a, a very good player when playing, for not much at yeah. all. So at that point, wait it out. Wait it out. Be smart. But don't hold on too long to the point where you get nothing for him because you got to remember Hey, for the Pacers, if you're going to let someone go, you got to get the you got to get trade value for them. That's what the Pacers did with Paul George. That's what they did with Victor Oladipo. That's what they did with Karis LeVert. They did a great job of when someone kind of didn't want to be here anymore, they got good return value. Yeah, I mean, nobody thought Oladipo was going to get traded when he got traded. They all thought he would be traded no eventually. But like when we found out he was involved in that James Harden deal and they got Karis LeVert, like it was kind of shocking. Um, 
because at the point at the beginning of the season, you know, Oladipo had zero value because of coming off the injury and stuff like that. So great point to bring up there. Let's move on to our last question from Shady Buffalo Podcast. He said, what teams do you anticipate being in contention of the top of the inverse standings? Also, how many points per game do you expect from the trio of Halliburton, Matherin, and Duarte? Man, uh, you know that that is that is very uh, in terms of the contention of, of the the contention of the top of the inverse standings. What, what a what a crazy saying, you know. Now, but this is what we're looking at, Alex. You actually sent me a prediction. I think it was like uh, NBA Central or something on yeah. Twitter. They had the Pacers last in the yeah. East, last, and I, I looked at it and I was like, mm, eh. kind of hard to argue. Yeah, but yeah. I think hands down the Spurs are going to be the worst team in the league. Like their roster, <laughs> it's it's no secret. It's a bare bone roster that is getting even worse. They'll find a way to dump Josh Richardson and Doug McDermott. Houston, I honestly I think they're gonna still be bad. I know they have a lot of promising players, but like they're in a just a like a rough spot. It's gonna take a couple years to get out of the Magic and Pistons. You look at those teams, there's a lot of promising players on them. So I feel like the Magic might not be, like, atrocious next year. I honestly think Powell's going to be a good player. And for the Pistons, I think Cade Cunningham is going to take a big step forward. So then that leaves you with OKC. I think OKC is going to be bad. I I think they got – they should be a little bit better than years past, but I still don't think they're ready. So, you know, not to put them in order, but basically I think the Spurs are the worst team. I think Houston's going to be really bad. I think the Pacers are going to be right in that mix. It could be a bottom three to bottom five. And then points per game – as a trio, I would say I'm going to put Halberton, you know, just to make it easy, let's put him at 20. So that's an increase of like 17.5 to 20. Matherin, I'm going to put him at 14. So you're looking at 34. And then Duarte, I'm going to say uh, 16. So you're looking at 50, 50 points. points. Yeah, 50 points between the three of them. Wow, okay. Um, wasn't sure you were going to go that high mm-hmm. on um, on your, on your buddy Duarte there, but – Okay, yeah, I think that the 20 for Halliburton makes sense because he said he wants to average 20 and 10, so I think that's kind of yeah, what we're getting he'll there get from. get there. It sounded like a goal to him, so I think he's going to have that in mind. Yeah, I was actually thinking maybe like 15, 16 for Matherin, and then probably like 13 for Duarte. Ooh, again, no step again. forward really for him. Huh? Maybe 14, maybe 15. It just depends on how many minutes he gets. I mean, a buddy's still there. It's going to cut into it. So I think we're right around the same thing with 50 points per game, maybe yeah. 51, 52, but, I mean, you're probably going to need more from – um, Matherin, I think, if you're um, wanting to score a lot. But I think Jalen's going to get a lot of points. I think Buddy will get some. McConnell, Turner, I think all these guys are going to cut into that. So those three right there, 50 is a good number. Uh, I like keeping yeah. it simple. Uh, looking at the inverse standings, though, I think a team you forgot that could be a team to watch is the Utah Jazz. Um, if they trade down. Oh, Mitchell. yeah. Wow. I, I totally, totally yeah. skip them. They're going to be Awful. horrible if they trade Donovan Mitchell. I mean, they should be bad regardless, but you yeah. trade – you traded Mitchell. Woo. Yes, I mean, you're looking at Utah, San Antonio, Houston, OKC, Indy, Orlando, Detroit. Um, I think Indiana is at least top five in terms of the worst teams there. I actually think OKC is going to be better than Indiana this year. I know that they're trying to tank, but at the same – I mean, here's the thing. They're going to lose games on purpose. Like, they're purposely going to lose games. Like, we saw it last year. They'll probably shut, uh, shut Chet down and uh, they'll shut down Josh Giddy and SGA – probably with like 20 games left to go. Okay. So we're going to see that if they're like winning too many games, but I think that there's enough talent there that they could win more games in Indiana. 
I think Orlando, Detroit, though. I mean, I think Detroit's going to be better than Indiana by far. Uh, the Ken, Ken I Hayes. do. I really do. Like Orlando's the really only team draft. I think. Orlando's the only team I think that we can really compete with for the bottom of the Eastern Conference. So the Western Conference is where you have to keep your eyes out for things. But I'm just hoping that the paces are so bad in the East that since they're playing more Eastern teams, maybe they get beat up. And so, like these Utah, San Antonio, Houston, OKC, okay, since they'll play each other more. Yep. Maybe that'll help the Pacers get in there because I don't think Indiana's going to be, you know, beating a lot of teams this year. Um, if they win games, I'm not going to be mad about it, obviously, but I want them to be against teams like the Lakers, like LeBron, just beating LeBron's cool every time always. and always beating. Uh, if we can beat Philadelphia anytime we play them, I like that too. So, and Miami, obviously. Yeah. No, those, those are the games that, hey, if you're going to, if you're going to lose a bunch of games every now and then, beat a team that's not really going to hurt you in the lottery. So like that game against OKC last year, we had like two bloodbath games against them where no one wanted to win. One game went to overtime and uh, it was like a blown layup at the end. And it was just like another game. O'Shea hit that crazy three, um, you know, to, to win it against OKC. I want to say it was, so it was just like those games, you knew no one really wanted that W, but someone had to. So I think you made a great point in terms of those West teams. They're going to be rough, but the, you look at the, the East, man. I mean, the Pacers, they stick out like a sore thumb. It, it's going to be a long year. <laughs> yeah, but it's going to be a good year for us. So oh, yeah. uh, with that being said, that is the mailbag for August. So thank you all for sending in your questions. Um, we're going to try to do the mailbag once a month instead of like every week like we were doing, just because – there's too much going on with the mailbag, and I think some of the questions get repetitive. So this is your August mailbag. So thank you all so much for the questions. Fashi, any final words before we sign off? I'll just say uh, consider the mail delivered. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. That was pretty bad. So tell the people where That's they can find us at. Tell the people where they can find us at on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden MBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, find us on YouTube at Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast where you can see our latest interview with Bob Kravitz, our interview with Tyrese Halliburton, CJ Miles, Lance Stevenson. We got them all there for you, ladies and gentlemen. But with that being said, if you're excited for the Indiana Pacers, to be back shortly and hoping that Tyrese Halliburton wins most improved player of the 2022-2023 season, then say these three words. Let's go Pacers! This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.